Welcome to Have Hope, Will Travel. I'm your host, Katie Axelson, and I'm excited for today's conversation because I've got my friend Karen on today. And to be honest, it took some convincing to get Karen to come onto the podcast. We'll talk about that more later. But Karen and I have known each other for what, five, six, seven, eight years, something like that? Ooh, and since 2013. Since 2013, yeah. We lived abroad as missionaries together. And so this isn't just a new friend with me. Karen and I have a lot of history together. Like Karen has checked my hair for lice. <laughs> Karen and I have harvested avocados together. <laughs> Karen and I have shared a bed and only one of us got bed bugs. <laughs> I forgot about that. <laughs> I know, right? So it's really exciting to get to have Karen here today because we're going to have a hard conversation. And this is a hard conversation that's coming in the context of our friendship that's existed for many, many years. So, Karen, welcome to the show. Thanks. I'm happy to be here. I'm happy to be here, too. And I'm so grateful for your willingness to, to have this conversation as we talk about queerness in the church, because those are two concepts that don't often go together. And, and it's hard to have a conversation about the two, but then it's also hard to have a respectful conversation. So thank you so much for being willing to share your story and to be vulnerable with us. You're welcome. So let's start by defining terms. How do you personally identify and what do terms like LGBTQ and even church mean to you? Um, I personally identify as a lesbian, uh, which means I am attracted to other women. Um, and so I also identify as queer, just generally as queer. Um, people within the LGBT community uh, tend to have some issues with the word queer, so it's not a word that everyone in this community loves, but it is a word that I find really helpful to uh, refer to sort it's sort of an umbrella term, I guess, for everyone who fits into the LGBTQ plus label. So LGBTQ mm-hmm. is um, lesbian, gay, bi, trans, uh, which is transsexual or transgender. Um, and then Q is queer. And then there, there are other letters as well, uh, intersex or asexual. But in all of that, I am queer or lesbian. Awesome. So you identify you prefer queer or lesbian. Mm -hmm. And then let's talk about church. What does that mean to you? What does evangelicalism mean to you? Um, So I think about there's like big C church and little C church. Like I think of little C church as being a church building. Like I just passed a yellow church Um, and then big C church being anyone or or I guess the whole family of Christianity, anyone who falls under that Christian umbrella. Um, And specifically when I talk about church and I talk about issues that I have with church, I am referring to this sort of um, mainstream evangelical church. Uh, So for me, evangelical church is... um, there's like evangelical or mainline. So mainline's more uh, traditional, um, like the Episcopal Church or the Lutheran Church, I think, is also mainline. And then evangelical are your uh, Baptists, Pentecostals, non-denominationals, less sure. traditional churches. Sure, sure. That makes sense. And and maybe this is an important detail. You live in the South. And so for, most, for you, most churches are Baptists. I live that in the is- North, so up here most churches are Lutheran. I will say that was, I lived 
I live in the South. I live in New Orleans currently. So most churches here are actually Catholic. Oh, sure. Um, but I grew up in Georgia, so it was very Baptist. Sure. Sure, sure. That makes sense. So let's talk about how did you know that you were a lesbian? What did that look like for you? So for me, I, let's see, there's kind of this like moment of realization, you know, where you're like, oh, oh, this is how I'm feeling. And then after that comes all of the connecting the dots of all the history. So I am a person who I did not grow up knowing that I was gay. Um, A lot of people do. And they, you know, they know from early childhood that they feel attracted to kids who look like them or whatever, but that was not my experience. Uh, for me, I, frankly, I just, I fell in love <laughs> when I was uh, 27. I fell in love with a woman and it set my whole world kind of spinning. And uh, when I'm, when I actually said out loud just to myself, like, I am in love with her, I felt like all of these moments of my entire life before that suddenly made sense. Like it was like I had all these dots along my timeline that didn't feel connected to each other. And then when I said that out loud, all those dots connected and they made a picture. Like I, it's like this kind of not quite in my body or um, these like really intense friendships or whatever, all these like little moments from my whole life. I'm like, Oh, it's because I didn't have the words for what was actually happening that I didn't understand what that meant, like the significance sure. of that. Sure. Um, I recently um, read an analogy that was, uh, it was talking about left-handedness or right-handedness. And like, imagine being born left-handed and, but your parents tell you that you have to write with your right hand. And then your school tells you that you have to write with your right hand. And everyone around you is writing with your right, with their right hand. So you teach your right hand how to write and you grow up your whole life writing with your right hand because that is the right thing to do. And then one day you pick up a pencil with your left hand and you're like, oh, this, I can still write with my right hand, but this feels right. Like this is, this makes the most sense for my body. Um, and queerness is kind of like that. And uh, and I would say for me, it certainly um was that way. Like I didn't know, I didn't have the words to talk about how I felt or, um, it's not just that I didn't have the words. It's it's actually that I was too afraid to put into words the way that I felt. And so I kept trying to operate as a right-handed person, um, you know, to extend the metaphor. And, and then I reached a point where I didn't want to do that anymore. Like I realized that there was a better way for me to function and a more natural way for me to function and it wasn't worth pretending anymore or it wasn't worth um trying to persuade myself to do something that didn't feel natural sure so then what did it look like for you to start telling people besides yourself that this is the way you are who uh (laughs) that was really hard uh at first because uh, as I said, I was 27 and I did not know any happy, healthy, adult queer people. Mm. And I was at the time that I came out, I was, uh, really involved in a youth group. I was a um, volunteer in a youth group at a very conservative church. I had, um, 
I guess I was a little over a year off of a mission trip. I had been a missionary for a year. And I, up until that point, had done everything that a person can do in a church. I was so involved. Like, I had grown up in, like, super involved in youth group as a member. And then I went to college and was in a very conservative, very evangelical, charismatic ministry for all of college. I started as a member, ended as a leader in that ministry. And then I volunteered at churches and then I was a missionary for a year and so my entire identity up to that point was Mm -hmm. what my relationship with was to whatever ministry I was in and I took those roles very seriously Mm -hmm. and so when I realized that I was gay and I had kind of gone through I made all these connections of my whole life and like I I knew that I wanted to I didn't want to suppress that part of myself, but I was also trying to make sense of how that part of my identity fit with the rest of my identity. And uh, so when I started talking about it at first, I feel like I talked about it as an apology. Like, Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm so sorry. I've discovered this thing about myself that alters how you think of me. What do I do? And um, the reactions were mixed, I would say. My family, uh, my family, my parents are actually not religious people, um, not really. Like, I think they would both say that they are Christians, but they are, I, I have always been the most zealous person in my family as far as religion goes. And um, and so even growing up, being super involved in church, they never went with me. I just went to church, you know, like I woke them up and they drove me to church and they dropped me off, you know. And so um, they didn't have the same kind of, I mean, they're, they're like Southern and traditional, but they're, they don't have that same sort of like fear of hell, you know, for their kids that, uh, I think maybe other queer people who grew up in the church have to face. So, uh, with my family, they were like, Oh, okay, well we love you. We want you to be happy. Um, and that was it. So that was, I'm really thankful for that. But, um, you know, talking to, my friends, the people who I've known from all the ministries I've been a part of forever. That was a much harder conversation. And some of my earliest uh, feedback was really, really hurtful. Mm. Um, And I, I think that it was given with love, I will say in quotation marks, but, uh, but in actuality it was, uh, it was really, dismissive at times and harsh and just hurtful mm-hmm. um so yeah and oh and uh when I came out at my church uh I lost my role as a leader which I to be fair to them I knew was coming like I knew it was a Baptist church I knew that I was not going to be allowed be allowed to volunteer um but I think it was especially painful because I had given so much and I at this church specifically was, was kind of on a pedestal. Like I, you know, I um, had worked there for several years and I was very close with a lot of the teenagers in my care. And uh, I will say that I went above and beyond. Like I, Mm -hmm. one of the kids in my group needed a family and I, got her adopted. (laughs) Like, you know, I like literally placed her with a loving family and, and was really like 
held up for that in the church. Mm -hmm. And then it's like this one moment of saying, Hey, all those things are still true about me. And also I'm gay. And then it was like, have a good life. Thanks for your service. You know, that's, um, that was pretty, it was expected, but it, it still hurt. Um, Mm -hmm. so sure. Yeah. Yeah. I remember walking through that season with you. Um, and I don't know if you remember this, but I remember when you told me, you do you remember this? That we were having you, breakfast. At- <laughs> we had breakfast. Uh-huh. And you said, don't write about this. <laughs> and I said, yeah. okay. And now here we are having a podcast. <laughs> and then you said, we're friends, right? And I said, yeah. And I'm like getting real nervous for what's coming. <laughs> and then you're like, I'm gay. And I'm like, okay, cool. <laughs> Can I eat now? <laughs> Um, but I also know that that was really hard because I know that you'd already had some people not respond so well. And so I just want to thank you for continuing to trust me and to share that with me because you're right. That breakfast had potential to go really poorly. And I thank you for taking a risk on that. And I know that, that you were really, really admired in your church. And I hate how that fell apart because I know that you did give a lot to that church. And I remember conversations long before this, like, of all the awesome things you were doing. And so it's sad to me that you were kind of escorted out. Um, so, yeah. How did that affect your faith? Coming out was the last catalyst into uh, what I call my faith deconstruction. But it was not the reason that my faith started deconstructing. Um, there were a lot of moments leading up to that where I just felt like this faith that I had, this like religion that I had given so much to this, you know, big C church in general, not this specific church in in my town, but like the church generally, I'd given so much. And I just felt like what I believed about God, I, I wasn't seeing in the people of God. And it was really discouraging. And so I was already having this sort of like, how do I stay true to what I believe is, is good about this faith and be at odds with the leaders that I am encountering, like the, the bodies of, you know, the communities that I'm a part of. And, um, and I, I was not really great, I think, at, um, at being able to hold two truths, the truth that uh, the church that I was you know, this like international body that I'm a part of is really um, at odds with my spirit and also that I can still be a part there. You know, I'd, I was having a hard time holding that already. Um, and then coming out was sort of the final straw of like, I, I cannot keep giving to a church that does not recognize my humanity. You know, that's what it sure. felt like. But there were there were all kinds of moments leading up to that, you know, I, um, from as early as college, I had so many questions that it's not only that I didn't have answers for, it's that I wasn't even allowed to ask them. Mm. You know, I had these, these like big doubts and these, you know, questions like, um, like about the validity of scripture, you know, Mm. and I would bring up these points of like, well, if, if we believe, you know, we read, I think it's, either Paul or Peter, I'm, my theology is about to get a little shady, but either Paul or Peter, I feel Paul said, um, 
you know, all scripture is good for edifying and teaching and rebuking and what all the things that scripture is good for. Fine. But he was not considering the words that he was speaking or writing to be scripture. So then what do we consider scripture? Like what Mm -hmm. parts are scripture and what parts have we decided after the fact are scripture? And if we can say that this, that he said was not, that he did not consider scripture, we can say that scripture, then why can't we also add to scripture? Or, Mm. you know, I, these are kind of questions that I had really early that if I asked them were just shut down, like you can't ask that, you know, it's, you have to, you have to have the faith that scripture is true. Scripture is true and valid. And if you don't believe that, that's a you issue. That's not a, you know, theological Mm -hmm. issue. Um, And just, just doubt, like, is it true that the reason that this person I'm praying for isn't healed is because they don't have enough faith or I don't have enough faith. And then Mm -hmm. how do you get enough faith to, to see healing, you know? Um, just just a handful of these big questions that I was asking. And I was also asking questions or wanting to ask questions about, about sexuality. What, how does that make sense? It doesn't make sense to me that I I couldn't see any theological reason that how that homosexuality would be wrong or sinful. It didn't make any sense to me. Mm-hmm. And I was especially afraid to ask that, you know? Yeah, I'm sure. And so that's a conversation that I had just with God for so long, for years, and mm-hmm. never got an answer, you know. And mm-hmm. uh, and so there was part of it was part of this like leading up to deconstruction was that I had big questions that I either couldn't get answers for when I did ask, or I wasn't allowed to ask at all. Um, and then I was a missionary for a year, and I felt really disillusioned. Um, in that process, like just what I saw, um, I saw, uh, the American church basically colonizing, (laughs) you know, going into other countries and colonizing and just deciding that our understanding of scripture is the correct understanding and our understanding of Jesus is the only understanding. And it didn't even, it didn't make sense. It didn't make sense in the places that we were. It didn't make sense in the people that I was coming into contact with. And I'm like, we, <laughs> this can't be right. Like it just didn't, right. it didn't um, add up for me. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then, so I had that, I had this disillusionment. I had this like feeling like I spent a year not actually making any difference, but feeling also like I wasn't allowed to say that because so many people had given so generously for me to be a missionary and it felt disrespectful to be honest about my experience um, when it wasn't good Mm -hmm. and there's some of that there was um, (laughs) also coming back I I was a missionary in Latin America for a year and so I came home from this year of serving Latin American people you know, trying to. And then the same people who raised money to send me to do this were the same people demanding that our border was shut to wow. Latin American people who wanted to come and make mm-hmm. a better life for themselves. And I couldn't make sense of that. I'm like, why as a, I, I couldn't see how we as a, as a Christian church had aligned ourselves so strongly with this conservative political party whose policies were so anti-Jesus. Yeah, for real. And that's another thing I wasn't allowed to say, like, you're not allowed to say that you're a liberal or a Democrat, you know, when you're in 
church. Like you're automatically branded as a, as a not real Christian or whatever. And I'm like that, but, but why, why aren't we supporting, why aren't we supporting people trying to make a better way? Why aren't we opening borders? Why aren't we, why, why don't we have healthcare for all people? Like I couldn't, um, I couldn't make sense of what, how the church could be so okay with such profound human rights issues. Yeah. And, and then the election cycle started for the 2016 presidential election. And I was watching people of my own church align themselves. So, I mean, so cohesively and so absolutely with a candidate that I thought was just reprehensible and, and so unlike Christ And, and things like, like, I think this is a pretty arbitrary thing, but like, he didn't know any scripture and fine. Okay. He doesn't know any scripture, but like me, (laughs) you know, when I'm misquoting scripture or whatever, like we're so quick to judge other, other Christians of like, you're not Christian enough, or this isn't a real Christian or whatever. And, and I just, anyway, this is a little rambly, but I just couldn't, I I felt more and more the separation of myself in the church that I belong to the, the big Mm -hmm. C like, American church church that Mm -hmm. I belong to the evangelical church. Absolutely. And then, um, and then I started processing through a lot of shame that I had picked up in my, for two decades of really, um, involved church membership, you know, and how I had learned to be ashamed of everything, like every part of my body, every, I was ashamed that I had doubt that I didn't have enough faith to, um, you know, to be okay with unanswered questions. I was, uh, ashamed of the fact that I couldn't find a husband because I didn't like anybody and they didn't like me, you know, and I felt like that there was something broken about me in that way. And, um, feeling ashamed, especially uh, there was like definitely some like sexuality and gender shame that I had grown up with. And, Um, and this, just this idea that like being a woman and and femininity were so weak, you know, Mm -hmm. and, um, and then I also had a lot of shame of of, like socioeconomic shame, you know, that I, the church I'd grown in, grown up in was really wealthy and the most prominent members of the church were very wealthy people and I was not. And I remember very distinctly making the connection between wealth and favor from God. Mm. And so always feeling like, because I've struggled financially because my family struggled financially that we were, it was somehow an indication that we, we did not have God's favor. Wow. And like, what a backwards, what a backwards view of the kingdom. It doesn't, it doesn't actually align with scripture at all, but that's what I saw. And that's, that's, I felt so much shame about my family not being involved in the church and also not being wealthy. Um, And so I started processing through a lot of that, like, where did I get these ideas? And that doesn't align with who I believe Christ to be, who I believe God to be. Um, So I started picking through that and then came the realization that I was gay. So that was like literally the last step in that, um, that like catalyst into a full Mm -hmm. deconstruction. So I know that you're part of a church community now. Let's mm-hmm. talk about what that has looked like, because we know that you left the church that you were at before, and now where are you? 
Um, so now I belong to an Episcopal church. Um, for I will say, just practically speaking, I had to find another church if I was going to stay in church because I moved states. So when I came out, um, I was I had already planned to move from Georgia to New Orleans, and so um, I came out. I told my church, and they, you know, cut their ties or whatever. And I moved to New Orleans, and it, I was on the fence a bit of even if I even wanted to to do church again. And uh, but as as I said, my identity for two plus decades was whatever my relationship was to a church or a ministry. And so I was not ready to not belong somewhere. And so uh, when I got to New Orleans, when I was still in Georgia, I went to an Episcopal church a few times um, because I had heard that you are allowed to be gay and also be Episcopalian. And so I was like, I got to check this out. Uh, So I went to an Episcopal church in my town in Georgia, and it was the most mind-blowing experience I've ever had in a church. Like the first, the very first Sunday that I went, um, it's a, it's a really traditional church, which I had basically very little experience with. Um, and I found that I really enjoyed the rhythm of a more, um, liturgical church, but, uh, I, I, so I go to this church, it's super traditional, super liturgical. And then the priest got up to, give the sermon and it was so simple there were it wasn't um it wasn't really emotional in any way but just what he the way that he spoke it was just you just love people with no Mm -hmm. exception with no qualifications no um no prereqs you know and you do your best like I remember that kind of the point of the sermon was in, in a moment, you know, when you're making decisions, whatever, you do the best that you can. And that's it. <laughs> and if it wasn't the best call, then you do better next time. Mm. And it was just so grace-filled, just so simple, so um, permissive to try and to live and then to just keep trying and living, you know. And I... I now that I'm saying that out loud, it seems so silly that it blew my mind the way that it did. But I think I had never left a service not feeling guilty. It was the first time that I'd ever gone to a service that I was like, that is all that I can ask of myself Mm. is to do my best and then to do better as I learn better. Mm. And I just kept going. I went to that church for a few more weeks and then I, I moved, but Every time it was like revolutionary to me to just love people and to do your best and to keep living, you know. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, so I thought when I got to New Orleans that I would look for an Episcopal church. And I found the church that I found on accident. I was driving past. I was on my way to a different church and I got lost. And then I was too late to go to the other church and I passed the, the one that I ended up at. And uh, the sign said that their service started in 15 minutes. So I just went inside there and I never left. It's the. You live there now. I live there. (laughs) (laughs) Well, not now because they're all in quarantine. So. Oh, um, right, 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 right. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So for me, the way to stay in the church and also 
fully embraced my identity as a queer woman was to find a home in the Episcopal Church. Mm-hmm. Um, and also for me, I, I say that I'm Episcopalian. I was, um, I was confirmed Episcopalian two years ago. Um, but I, I still have a lot of doubt and I have a lot of questions and I don't think of God the way that I did growing up. And I, I don't even necessarily know that I think about God the same way that, you know, the official Episcopal church does. Mm -hmm. But I do know that I am allowed to be present in my full identity with all of my doubts and all of my, um, all of my half belief and, all Mm -hmm. of my questions and that Mm -hmm. is all fully accepted and validated yeah and that has not been my experience in any other church I love that I love that you're able to have your questions and your identity and you're able to wrestle with with the questions you don't wrestle with the identity at this point but to wrestle with those questions in a space that's still safe for wrestling and I think of something that you said one other conversation we've had about this where you said you know, in a lot of other places, when I've had questions or doubts or whatever, they've kind of approached it with a, oh, you're just not there yet kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And then you were talking about your Episcopalian church and how they were totally fine with your questions and your doubts. And there wasn't like an arrival that they wanted you to get to. And I think yeah. that's absolutely beautiful. Yeah, there's just, there was such a humility. I, I'm The priest at that church is, he's one of my best friends now. And um, he has such a a humble approach to scripture and theology, which is when I come with my questions, it's not met with, well, one day this will make sense or, well, you're just not allowed to have that question Mm -hmm. or, well, you're just never going to get an answer for that. Instead it's met with yes. And also here's another question. Mm. And it's just this, it's okay. We can keep doing the best that we're doing with the information that we have. Mm. We can be okay with not having all of the information or with the answers changing, you know, culturally Mm. or with, time or in different situations like yeah all of that is fine Mm -hmm. I I will say also at the very beginning of my deconstruction I was um, seeing a counselor and she was a Christian counselor which someone from my church had recommended to me because they thought that this was someone from my conservative church they recommended this counselor because they're like oh you have these questions and she'll fix you and I went And it turns out that this woman was actually not interested in fixing queerness um, and did not believe that it was something that needed to be fixed. So that was really refreshing. But she told me, um, she said, you know, Karen, I I think about the scripture um, that all things are permissible, but not all things are beneficial. And she Mm. said, what do you think that means? I was like, I I don't know. And she said, I think it means that you're allowed to do whatever you want. Like your, your status with God is fixed. It is fixed. You are redeemed. You are whole. You are, you belong to God. You are a child of God. That is a fixed position. So within that, you're allowed to do anything that you want. And it does not change that you are a child of God who is chosen and loved and, you know, however, not all things are good for you. Mm -hmm. And And so then you make your decisions based on, is this good for me or is this not? Does this align with my worldview or does it not? You know, Mm -hmm. and it seems so simple, but it was like, it was a total revelation for me because 
I think I had weighed all of my choices up to that point as, well, is this going to send me to hell or not? And everything felt like an eternal mm. decision. Like I, I told her I'd had this dream where I was in this, like I could, I was looking out and I could see this entire field with just wildflowers and hills and it was gorgeous. But then I looked down at my feet and I was actually just on the edge of that field and below me was a cliff, like just a drop off. Mm. And I could not experience the goodness because I was always right there on the edge. Like if I took one wrong step, I was just falling off Mm. the cliff. And I don't believe that's how God is. I don't think that, I don't think that, I I don't think he's that interested, honestly, (laughs) in Mm -hmm. every minute decision. And I certainly don't think that I am somehow barred from the love of God because I also love women. (laughs) I think that God is much more interested in who I don't love and who I exclude than who I do love. So um, anyway, just reframing my whole theological view of Mm -hmm. I am fixed as Mm -hmm. a beloved child of God. So now all of my decisions moving forward or just, is this Mm -hmm. good for me or is this not? Does this, um, is this just, is this kind, is this humble of me or is Mm -hmm. it not, you know, does this serve the orphans, the widows, the most vulnerable or does it not? I like that you talked about what does it look like to love others and to serve others. And so what does it look like for us as your friends and as the church community, big C, little C, regardless what does it look like for us to love you well? I think being less concerned about the things that don't concern you. Mm. Um, I What I find happens uh, often with the church, Big C Church, or with um, evangelical Christians, is that the conversation stops at gay. Mm. It's like, that's the, that's the big issue. And so in the same way that, like, I wasn't allowed to be a volunteer at my church anymore despite my track record of good deeds and service Mm -hmm. because I was gay like that was the issue that's the immovable issue and um I think those things that like actually doesn't concern anybody else like it's not Mm -hmm. anybody's business and it doesn't have any effect on my ability to be kind or my ability to um meet another person's need and so that's to, like the that's not where the conversation even needs to be started. Mm-hmm. And I think that um, you know I I want friends in my life who will lovingly correct me if I'm if I'm doing wrong or if I'm not um, acting as I should be if I'm not being a good friend if I'm not being a good person if I'm not being a good neighbor. But none of that has anything to do with you know, who I share a bed with, frankly. Sure. And I, so I think that loving queer people well is, is getting out of that part of their business. And especially I, because I think what it gets down to is there's this feeling in the church that they are somehow the gatekeepers to heaven. Like, Mm. and and I, I understand. I mean, I, I grew up evangelical. I grew up with this absolute fear that if people in my community, if people that I went to school with, if people who were my friends died and went to hell, then it was my fault. 
for not witnessing well enough. Like their blood was mm. on my hands, you know? Wow. And I, I understand how that is built into the system of evangelicalism, that you are responsible for the eternity of other people. And I don't know how to separate evangelicals from that kind of worldview. Um, mm. But I think that's where it's got to start is like none of us get to decide who gets in and who doesn't, you yeah. know, like we're all doing the best that we can with the limited information that we have. Sure. And any of us can take scripture and make it say whatever we want. Like all of us are cherry picking everybody, you know, mm-hmm. like nobody has the exact literal, this is the way that God intended it every time. This is, this is not debatable. Um, and so if, if you want to love queer people well, just love them as people and don't don't try to fix what doesn't need to be fixed mm-hmm. and and recognize the thing in you that thinks that you have the right answer and that you then have to convince everyone else or like fix that for everyone else. It's, it's, that's as it a, turns out, my driver's license does not say Holy Spirit. <laughs> right. That's not you can't start there. Yeah, that's good. So faith and sexuality can be really personal things. And I know that it was some debate for you if if this was something you wanted to talk about publicly. And I'm so grateful that you decided that, yes, you were willing to. What changed your mind? Mm. Um, So what changed my mind? I'll say the reasons that I, when you have asked me previously to be on this podcast, the reasons that I have not wanted to do it um, is because uh, partly, as I said, I have deconstructed the faith that I was raised in and uh, I belong now to a different kind of church but even in that church I don't fit all of the tenets and I am not a person who can argue the validity of scripture I can't argue the history of scripture not only can I not do that but I'm not interested in doing that Um, Mm -hmm. and I I declined the invitation out of a fear that that is what would be expected of me that I could say, well, if you look at this passage and you go back to the original Greek, um, I, I am not prepared nor interested in defending my humanity or my right to belong to God or, um, and I'm just not the best person to do that. There are lots of resources. If you want to get into queer theology, there are lots of really great resources and books and podcasts and, um, and scholarly essays and all of this available, I'm not that person. And so I declined for that reason. I also declined because um, I don't know that I count, you know, like, does my, do my thoughts count? Because I'm, I'm not a scholar. I don't, I think that a lot of people would not even consider me a Christian. And, Mm. um, and so I, I don't know that I'm the voice you're looking for, but Ultimately, I decided that I was your voice does count and you do matter. Carry on. Thank you. Um, Ultimately, I decided to to do the podcast with you because um, I think it's important to have lots of different voices out in the world and accessible. um, And representation matters, frankly. You know, I there's this idea that I often uh, brush up against that if you put gay people on TV, then it's going to make kids gay, you know, or if you put, um, if you put it in, into books or you talk about it at church, it's going to turn kids gay. 
that is not the case. That doesn't even make sense. Um, but it's not the case. I mean, I, I am gay and I had no gay influences, like nobody. I didn't know anybody who was living the kind of life that I wanted to live and who was also gay. And, um, the reason that I was able to come out at all is because first I realized that nobody put the idea into my head. Nobody was like, Hey, I think you're gay. Maybe you should look into that. Um, I realized it for myself. And then I found people who were like me who had published blogs or done interviews or, you know, like people like Kevin Garcia and Brett Harmon with the blue babies, pink blog. Like I, I found these avenues of people who had kind of, you know, blazed that trail before me. And so I had some confidence. I had someone that I could call and say like, Hey, you've done this before. What, mm. what is my next step? Is this okay? This person, you know, my friend just told me that I have to choose God or my sexuality. Is that true? You know, like I had someone that I knew of and, mm. um, and it's important to me that when, when there are people who are in that situation that I was in and there are going to be people like they don't need to see my face to be like, Oh, I think I'm also gay. But there are people who are just like, I think I'm gay or not even gay, like people who are also frustrated with the church and saying, this doesn't feel right, but I don't know how to ask those questions or I don't, mm. I don't, has anyone else ever felt this? You know, it, when more people share their stories, then you are more easily able to find someone who has been where you are and can offer some insight. Yeah. So that's. That's why, because it, yeah. it matters, you know. Well, I'm glad that you did. And I appreciate that you took the courage to be able to share your story. And I hope yeah. that it inspires others to take the courage to share their own stories as well. Thank you. So if we have appreciated this conversation with you, where can we find you online? You can find me on Instagram. That is my favorite social media platform. Uh, my name is Karen Wholehearted. Or you can find me on Facebook. My name is Karen Elizabeth Fig, F-I-G, like the fruit. Perfect. Yep, we, that's it. We will link to those in the show notes. And if you. You follow, if you follow Karen on Instagram, you will also get really awesome recipes. That is true. hungry. Yeah. <laughs> so I have one final question for you. Interpret this as you wish. What do you wish everyone knew? I wish everyone knew... And especially everyone who's maybe in their teens, 20s, early 30s, the places that I've been so far. Um, I wish everyone knew that who you are as a person is not fixed and it is okay to try on different um, different interests and different um, styles and personas, if you will, until you find what actually fits you well mm. I like that I especially like that coming from you as a seamstress because you've tried a lot of different a lot of different clothing like physically I've seen you in a lot of different outfits so it's fun yes. to think about it metaphorically as well mm-hmm. well Karen thank you so much for your time and for your courage and for your willingness to to say hard things and to have have a hard conversation and to be passionate about it because it has really blessed me and it's given me a lot of things that I need to wrestle with. And we've talked about this before, right? So that's things that I've already wrestled with, but continue to wrestle and to continue to, uh, to go to Jesus with my own questions of what does this mean for me? What does it mean for me 
to love Karen well, because I know that I absolutely love Karen. And so what does it mean to love her well? What does it mean to love Jess well? Now that you're marrying your wife, what does that look like? Yes, congratulations. That's new. As always, a big thanks for listening. Make sure to connect with Karen online. On Instagram, that's Karen Wholehearted, K-A-R-E-N-W-H-O-L-E-H-E-A-R-T-E-D. And on Facebook, Karen Elizabeth Fig, last name F-I-G. Think about this. Who in your life do you need to have these kinds of conversations with? Maybe send them the episode and say, hey, do you share Karen's opinion or can I hear your own opinion? Wrestle with this yourself. Do you need to give yourself permission to have hard questions? Do you need to feel like your voice counts? It's okay to disagree with some of the things that Karen said, but wrestle with them with the Lord and do so in love and do so with compassion. And remember, she's someone I know and someone I trust and someone it's been a privilege to walk through this journey with her. As Christians, we need to be known for sharing God's love, not for standing against things to be door openers instead of slamming doors in people's faces. If we haven't connected yet, let's do so. You can find me on Instagram at Katie Axelson. It's K-A-T-I-E-A-X-E-L-S-O-N. There are more resources at katieaxelson.com. And of course, we'll see you in two weeks for a new podcast episode. Be blessed, my friends, and be loved.